and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm speaking with Donald Paysant, Senior Director of Event Security and Special Projects for the Texas Rangers. With decades of experience, from the New Orleans Police Department to Omni Hotels, and now a power-ranking MLB team, Donald has really hit it out of the park, securing large-scale sporting events like the Final Four and the Super Bowl. Next year, the 2024 MLB All-Star Game leads off at Globe Live Field, where Donald and his team are sliding into action to ensure a safe and fun atmosphere for fans, players, and staff. Let's dive in. Hey, Donald. I know it's really busy for you this time of year, so thanks for taking time to show up today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Peter, for having me. Absolutely. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your day-to-day securing the Texas Rangers and Globe Life Field? What's that like on a daily basis? Well, we stay quite busy. We have our Globe Life Field where the Texas Rangers play. It's a beautiful new stadium with a roof, so it really helps us out in the summertime when it's 110 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. We also have Choctaw Stadium, which is the old Texas Rangers baseball stadium that we still operate as well. The only thing we can't do over there is play baseball. It's been configured for uh, football, concerts, soccer, rugby. So we also have meeting space, office building over there, as well as all of our meeting space over here at Globe Life Field. So stay pretty busy with a lot of events in addition to baseball happening throughout the year at those facilities. And on an average day, how many people do you have on, I guess I'll call it campus versus on a game day? What's that range? Well, on what we call a non-event day, we have well over 200 employees here at Globe Life Field. We also have our concessionaire who is in here doing work, vendors, contractors here. So staying pretty busy. Oh, that's fantastic. And then I I guess on game days or event days, it could flex up to, what, 30, 40, maybe even 50,000? Is that about right? Yeah. Here at Globe Life, we can put close to 40,000 people for an event. Obviously, more for a concert, a few more for a concert, because we can actually utilize the field itself for seating and stage. At Choctaw, we can go as high as 25,000 on an event day. Last year, we we experienced our, our return of the XFL. And they were putting fifteen to 20,000 people in the stadium every week they were playing. Wow, okay. Well, the Rangers had a fantastic season, and I'm sure that success creates a different dynamic for you and your team. So how does that change your role? So my role in general doesn't really change a whole lot, but with a winning baseball team and a winning season, as we're very fortunate to have, we have seen an increase in attendance a dramatic increase in attendance. And with that comes a lot of VIPs that now want to come to the game. You know, former President George Bush attends a few of our games here and there. So that's a whole nother dynamic with the Secret Service and an additional support from from the Arlington, Texas Police Department that provides our public safety platform here at Globe Life Field, as well as over at Choctaw. You know, and of course, with increased attendance, our concession sales are up as well. And part of that is uh, alcohol sales. But we're very fortunate that we have a great partner in Delaware North who works with us. And we ensure that we're doing our best to safely serve alcohol. And if any problems do come up, we take care of those right away so we can, our fans can have a, a great experience here at the ballpark. So unlike a lot of organizations, you actually have to 
I guess, work with a lot of different groups and organizations coming on to your campus each and every day, whereas a lot of places, it's pretty static. It's the same folks day in and day out. Does that create a different kind of challenge based on what you've experienced elsewhere? Not so much of a challenge. It's just having those partnerships and relationships with others, understanding our security platform and what's required during those times of visit. So it's really not any different than what I've experienced in the past. In my previous sports venue down in New Orleans, we had three different venues we were running. And so a lot of stuff going on there. So it's almost similar to what we're doing here in Arlington. Do you find that you coordinate more with outside resources like the police, fire, EMS, and maybe other groups than you would have normally for a, maybe a traditional corporation? I believe that to be the case. And in, in the sports venue business, the relationships with our public safety officials, both local, state, and federal, is critical. Making those relationships is a priority for me whenever I come in to a, a new place. I've been here a little over a year, and I've been very fortunate to make those relationships with, you know, police, fire, EMS, FBI, DHS, on and on with our, our partners. And again, as I mentioned, it is critical to our success that everybody's on the same page. We're all rolling the boat, as they say, in one direction and really benefits our organization and most importantly, benefits the safety of our attendees at, at our venues. So even though the average organization may not need to interact with those folks nearly as much as you would on a regular basis, would you still recommend that they make those relationships in advance before some kind of emergency happens? Absolutely. You know, I, I adhere to the, to the old saying, I don't want to exchange business cards in the back of a police car in the middle of a crisis. So having those partnerships, having those relationships, allowing outside agencies to come in and walk through our venues and learn our venue and walk through our emergency response plans. And when we put together our emergency response plans, have the input of our public safety officials because that's pretty much they're responding to it right there. The, they become the incident commanders. They take over once they get here. And it allows us to have that relationship. And then also, I would also recommend some tabletop exercises before the emergency actually happens. Walk through it, see what that response is, learning what their capabilities are, what their deliverables are versus your expectations of what you think they're going to deliver. Mm, and making sure everyone's on the same page. That's actually a fantastic idea. Yes, it's critical, again, to the success providing a safe environment for everyone to be in. Well, speaking of that environment, we talked about it a bit before, but you cover a really big campus where a lot of stuff is going on and changing pretty rapidly with the constant flow of people. So with that in mind, how does communication come into play for securing Globe Life Field and Chakta? How important is it to your success? So it's very important. We're not only communicating with our internal staff, our contract staff, our law enforcement partners, our public safety partners, but also our neighbors. AT&T Stadium is literally within a stone's throw of us. We also have Six Flags Amusement Park, the water park for Six Flags, a convention center nearby, soon to be the National Medal of Honor Museum, as well as a, a very large footprint outside of our stadium from an entertainment district. Texas Live is up and running. We have a 300-room hotel, and we're getting ready to add another hotel with 888 more rooms plus a convention visitors area to hold larger meetings. So 
when all of our venues are going at the same time, when AT&T is up and running, when we're running, Texas Live is running, and then we have an event over at Choctaw, there's a lot of communication going on there. So we're very fortunate that we know all the players involved. We've made partnerships with them. We attend each other's meetings and we're able to communicate very quickly. All of my peers, I have in my cell phone, their cell phone numbers that I can push on my phone and call somebody right away. We also recently developed uh, an Arlington Entertainment District security network, which includes all of our partners around here. And one of the things that we, we learned was that we didn't have each other's command center's phone numbers. And so we got together, we shared that with each other, and now in all of our command centers and all of our phones, if I need to call Six Flags Security Command, I have a number that I can go directly to them instead of going through the switchboard. So those kind of partnerships are critical as we're developing these communication pieces. So it's not always just over the radio, over the cell phone, but also other pieces of communication and then we have when well, we have to push information out. So if something's going on over at AT&T that's going to affect us and we learn about it, we have the ability to be able to push that information out via text, other type of communication pieces that we have, including alert media. We're very happy with our relationship. The information that we get from alert media is on time, on task. It provides us with a valuable tool for information sharing, and it's just a great thing for us. That's fantastic. I mean, with as many moving parts as you've described, it seems like you can only plan for so much. In fact, the planning just gets you in the muscle memory mode of knowing what to do, but you got to be able to communicate, call audibles, check with people, share information to really be able to respond effectively. Yeah, you're right. You know, and, and in addition, you know, plans are great to have them written and people to read them and things like that, but there's nothing like executing those plans. And so, for example, we have an evacuation plan. Everyone has an evacuation plan, hopefully, but we practice it at the end of our games, particularly when it's bottom of the ninth, tied game, sold out. We're playing a rival, the Houston Astros. We hit a game-winning home run and all 40,000 people exit out at one time. Well, that's a great opportunity for us to practice our evacuation, even though we're not doing an evacuation, but to see it on camera, capture it, see how our flow is. But also the other piece of that is what I call on-the-job training. So to take an evacuation plan and then narrow it down maybe just to one gate for one game and gather those folks and say, hey, if we have an evacuation, how does this work? Do you know what your responsibilities are? Where are you supposed to go? What is your responsibility, right? What about our ADA patrons? What is the responsibility for getting them out, right? Because everybody else is leaving. We don't want to forget our ADA patrons. So we have all of that in our plan, but to see that plan execute is critical. So that on-the-job training is very important for us, and it's continuous. It goes on. It just doesn't happen, oh, two weeks before the first game, we're going we're gonna to have a four-hour training orientation, and then we don't train anymore. That's not a good thing because over time, people have a tendency, if they don't practice it, to not remember or not be able to fully execute what we require. And I love that idea of doing like a soft version of it when you've got live stimuli there, like the actual people that could be there if there were a disaster, as opposed to just waiting till the, the stadium's cleared out and then just pretending <laughs> it's not the same. Right, right, right. Excellent. 
Well, now I understand you'll also be securing the 2024 All-Star Game. Can you walk us through some of the perhaps unique challenges and preparations that go into securing that kind of an event? Sure. So I'll start off by saying I'm very fortunate that this past All-Star Game in Seattle, I had an opportunity to go up there for a week and not only observe what was going on, but actually work with MLB security in the execution uh, of the plan for Major League Baseball as it relates from the security side. There's a whole lot that goes into to an all-star game. Obviously, some challenges we're going to have. The last three, I believe it was Colorado, Denver, Los Angeles, and obviously Seattle most recently. 72 degrees, beautiful weather, overnight, maybe 60 degrees. Unfortunately, Summers in Texas, we, we're not that fortunate with that, right? So yeah. we're going to have some extreme heat. We've already had our discussion with our fire department who oversees our medical program here in Arlington. They were actually there in Seattle. And that's one of the first things we talked about. We got together in Seattle when they came up. The chief mentioned to me, he goes, man, this is beautiful weather. He says, but we'll be prepared for the heat in Texas. And they are one of the finest groups of public safety folks that I've ever had an opportunity to work with is here in Arlington, Texas. So I'm very fortunate. With that, that all-star game is going to come, you know, even more and more VIPs and, you know, executives from from Major League Baseball and obviously the all-star talent themselves. But when you have all the other ancillary events, you have the red carpet, you have the home run derby, you have play ball park, and then you have just celebrities coming in VIPs. I'm sure President Bush 43 will make his presence here, hopefully. And so we're ready for that. And we've practiced over and over. We're very confident with our plans. We have a few months to prepare for it. MLB is now coming in once the season's over and we'll start preparing for the All-Star Game. We're very excited about it for it to be here in Texas. Unlike it was, I believe, back in 95, we had it when we were next door out in the heat. It was a little, little different. So, and obviously, all-star game from 1995 to now is totally different, just like Super Bowls are and all-star NBA games are. They evolve over time. And, but it's something we're very fortunate to get. We're very excited that it's coming. And it will also provide us an opportunity to showcase why we consider ourselves the best in the business. Well, it definitely is exciting, and it's an incredible honor to be able to host that. And I know you've got a pretty impressive history of securing high-profile events. Are there any lessons or perhaps insights from your past experiences that you're applying to preparations for the All-Star Game? Well, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we, we knew the All-Star Game's coming. We've got a, well in advance of a year to prepare for it. I recall when I was in New Orleans, the NBA All-Star Game, I believe it was 2017, was supposed to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. And at the last minute, I don't really recall the exact reasoning, but it was moved out of Charlotte. And we got noticed, hey, the All-Star Game's coming here. We have a very short time to prepare. But fortunately, we had the All-Star Game a few years before. A lot of the same, same players, as I would say, from the NBA side was involved. So I'd already known them. I'd worked with them. I had an opportunity to go to other all-star games to, to see how things worked out. And we were in a crunch, I, I, but we did and we pulled it off. And it was a very successful event for us, especially, you know, in New Orleans is a quote unquote party city, right? Uh, <laughs> right. You hear some people from the NFL saying, we wish we could have the Super Bowl every year in New Orleans because it's a walkable city. 
a lot of hotel rooms right in the area. The Superdome is well over 40 years old. I think it might be coming up on 50 years old. And it just continues to be a state-of-the-art facility. And it, it, it was really easy for us. And having a campus like that, that the NBA game was at the Smoothie King Center, also known as the New Orleans Arena, but also having the Superdome right across the street from it allowed us to really execute a great game because we were actually able to utilize both venues instead of it all being in one venue. So it sounds like you should always have that network going and talking to other people around you, maybe like industries in other cities or at least facilities nearby you. So if something does pop up, you've got other people to lean on. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's even more than just in the venue security business is even more than just security people, right? I mean, I, I remember being in meetings with the city, with the streets departments, because signal light traffic management was important in a downtown setting like that, just like it is here in Arlington. And also, I mean, even having a contact with the power company supplier, and you would think, well, what would you really need that for, right? Well, that kind of leads me to my next one, which was, as everybody probably knows, the as we say, the the night the lights went out in the Superdome for, for the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, but what I'll share with you is we did so much planning, so much with all of our partners. Again, state, local, federal, you name it, we had this plan down, right? And as I like to say, on Super Bowl Sunday, I felt, and so did others, that is the safest place to be. I mean, the assets that were thrown at that venue and that event were massive. The coordination was pretty incredible to have all of these folks working together. And we knew from practicing and attending the production meetings and everything, we knew exactly what was going to happen. We knew if the lights were going to be turned down, if the lights were going to come on, Beyonce's performance at halftime, we knew exactly how that was going to go. And then, obviously, after halftime is when we lost power to half the building. And I remember it was eerily quiet when half the lights went out. And then you kick into your training, you kick into your experience. I happened to be on the field when that happened and realized that one side of the building is dark and the other side is still lit. That was not in the plan. That was not nothing we practiced. And so that's where that communication comes in, right? Being able to turn to mind and go, okay, what's happening? What's going on here, right? And someone asked me after, after the fact, was the first thing that popped in your mind was a terrorist attack. Mm. And I said, very briefly, it did. But then I said to myself, with all the planning and with all the assets that we had dedicated to this game, that really wasn't something I really thought was a definite could happen. And fortunately, it was in, in the end run, we find out that it was basically an electrical feed to the building. And we were able to get it back up and running. They finished the game, very successful. It sure was a, an experience. I'll never <laughs> forget it. But again, lessons learned. What if we would have had to evacuate the building? How do you evacuate a building when it's dark? Or, or you just have minimal emergency lighting, right? Sheltering in place, right? What if during that power fill, you would have had a fire occur? How do we respond to that? And we had worked through all of those scenarios. We actually did go through a scenario, I believe, the Thursday night before the game 
one of our tabletop meetings, we talked about a power failure, an entire power failure for the building. It was related to a, a weather situation, which on that day, I believe it was really great weather day and beautiful. But we talked about that. What if we have a power failure? How does that work? Is there generator power available? What does the generator do? Do we have a backup to the backup? We have redundancy in our communication ability. All of those things and, and all of this planning is very important because you just never know what's going to happen. Well, that situation cer- certainly could have devolved into chaos pretty quickly. So excellent outcome. As you think about everything that's changing and going on in the world right now, what's your top concern when it comes to event security? So obviously, with open-air stadiums, one of the major concerns when we get together at our conferences and just discussions, and we do have an open-air stadium next door at Choctaw, is obviously drones with potential payloads on them. We have drones that go up all the time around us. People use them for various reasons. Most of them are good intentions, but there's always that concern that someone could launch a, a drone with a payload. And so we tabletop that. We work with our police department, our fire response. The police department here in Arlington has a method of tracking when drones go up around our area. And we're able to hopefully figure out where it's at and get the operators to take it down. One of the concerns would be that even if they're flying a drone, they lose control of it, goes into the open stadium, it crashes, potentially injures somebody. So those are always concerns. For baseball, we have a temporary flight restriction, but we also have a closed roof for most of our season. But in the beginning of the season, we do have an open roof. Our retractable roof here at Globe Life Field opens and closes, which is a benefit for us, especially in these hot summers. But we also have the potential of something happening like that. So we tabletop with our local responders. We tabletop with Major League Baseball. We just had one of those this past season. What is the responsibility of everybody involved? And we're very comfortable with that. The other thing uh, is obviously the prevalence of ghost guns, but not only us, but uh, law enforcement in general, something like that would happen, trying to get those into the stadium. We utilize all the technology we can to detect weapons and just large pieces of metal coming in. Our protocols are we also do bag searches and we have walk-through metal detectors here at both of our facilities. There's a saying someone once told me, The bad guys only have to be right once. We have to be right all the time. So we're constantly training on our security screening. We're testing our security screening, not just one time a year. We test it numerous times a year. And again, rewarding for when it's done right and training, retraining, and when there's not following our protocols. But for the most part, we're very confident in that. So drones and weapons, particularly those guns, but weapons in general getting into the facility are are major concerns. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I'd love to hear you perhaps reflect back on your career just a little bit, specifically around any thoughts or advice you have on the transition from law enforcement to private security roles. For me, it was learning the business side, learning about sales, learning about delivering the event, learning financial a lot of financials, right? In law enforcement, I just had to deal with my budget. Now I have to deal with a whole lot more. I joined a couple of industry organizations 
And I was very fortunate to become good friends with some high profile individuals in the business that have been around for a long time. And they took me under their wing and, and walked me through some things. To Even today, I can pick the phone up to five, six people and just call them and say, hey, I'm looking to do this. Can you send me an idea of what you've done? And within five minutes, they're sending me their information. So sharing the coordination is really important. My advice to anyone that's moving from the public sector to private sector is don't think that you can't do it. You can do it. It's a little different mindset than maybe when you were in law enforcement or the military. In the end, it's about security. Join some organizations such as NCS4 or IIFX. Those are a couple of organizations out there that you can join from a security standpoint. Subscribe to magazines, articles, and just try to get as much information as you can. Be a sponge and absorb it. But more important than that is get together with somebody who's in this business that will take the time to mentor you, to be a mentor. Like I mentioned, I've got a few of them that I consider my mentors that I can just reach out to at any minute. Say, hey, let me throw this idea by you. How do you guys handle it? Right. But also knowing the inner workings of your organization of how how that's laid out and how things potentially could be handled from that standpoint. But it's been a great time for me. As I, I say, I, I have one of the best jobs in the world right now. I've had some great jobs, but it just seems as I progress through my career, it gets better and better. But a lot of it has to do with, with the experience that I've gotten through those other disciplines. So working in the public sector, working in the hotel industry, working in New Orleans at the Superdome and the Smoothie King Center. And that being in a, a downtown area like that, and then coming here to Arlington, where we'll spread out some more, but still those ideas of that we've talked about partnerships and getting together with security networks and forming security networks is what makes it all happen. Yeah, it seems to me like a big part of your success is your ability to go out and network and reach out to people, learn from them, share ideas, have contacts. So when things get bad, you've got a team there to support you. Yes, sir. Exactly. Well, Donald, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the show and best of luck to the team. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be with you. For more on Donald and his work with the Texas Rangers, click the links in the show notes. Tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your people and business. For video highlights from today's episode, just search Alert Media on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.